You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season six, episode two. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Ecstasis Magazine. Ecstasis Magazine features articles, interviews, and art that exhibits the spiritual, intellectual, and aesthetic depths latent within the Christian understanding of human life. The mission at Ecstasis is to bring faithful discourse and artistic admiration to this cultural moment. You can find out more about Ecstasis in the show notes of this episode or by visiting makersandmystics.com sponsors. One of the beautiful privileges I have in hosting this podcast is the opportunity to connect with so many incredible artists from every background and discipline. Then, I get to introduce them to you, our growing community of creatives worldwide. Over this past year, as I've traveled to different cities and connected with those of you in our Patreon collective, it's been deeply encouraging to see the relationships and community formed through these conversations and the events that we host. Earlier this year, at our Breath in the Clay Visual Arts Retreat, I connected with an artist I'm looking forward to introducing you to today. Lauren Midgley is a conceptual fine art photographer based in Oklahoma. Her photography stretches beyond the historical use of the camera and invites the viewer into a world of surrealism and visual storytelling. In a world saturated with digital imagery, Lauren employs illustrative, advanced digital manipulation to paint virtual narratives that speak to the heart of our collective human experience. In this episode, Lauren and I discuss her aims and motivations as an artist, as well as the inception behind several of her portraits. To make it easier for you to follow along with the visual nature of our discussion, we have posted the images mentioned in this episode on our website and on Instagram at Makers and Mystics. Music in this episode is provided by Paper Lights and Salise. Links to our musical artist are listed in the show notes of this episode. This is my interview with concept photographer Lauren Midgley. Well, Lauren, thank you for joining me on Makers and Mystics today. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a really exciting opportunity. Well, I've been following your work on Instagram for some time and have just fallen in love with your images. And I love the concept photography that you're doing. It really touches on my own bent towards surrealism and (laughs) nonlinear expressions of art. And so I'm really looking forward to talking about what makes you tick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, you know, surrealism is uh, obviously pretty close to my heart, so I think my imagination lends itself very easily in that direction. Well, tell me how you made your way to concept photography. What Has this been a long journey for you? No, actually, I feel like I'm kind of at the beginning. I got a camera for Christmas about four years ago, and I just started pouring over YouTube videos and 
you know, workshops and whatnot and trying to figure out how to actually use this camera so that I could push it to its limits and ended up actually dabbling a little bit in what's called wet plate collodion photography, which is the second earliest form of photography ever. And mm. so in my garage, I was using collodion chemistry to wet a plate and then I would go and expose it in the camera for a few seconds and then develop it in my garage. And that was kind of the birthplace of like what I would call my fine artness. And so I made up a word there. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was literally like three days before school started, I had a dream. And in this dream, my sister-in-law and I, her name's Allie, we were having a conversation and she kept looking at my neck, like where I would wear a necklace. And I was like, what are you doing? She was like, I see your necklace there. I was like, I'm not wearing a necklace. And she says, everybody wears a necklace and each bead represents moments of joy or sadness. And I was like, interesting. And she goes, you don't have many joy beads. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> mm. you know? And, um, that dream basically ended with the invitation. She said, "You can, we can start on that today. And I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, mm -hmm. so I wake up and I'm like, I know that wasn't Allie talking, even though it was Allie talking, you know? <laughs> and so I prayed into it and I just kind of had this picture. And I basically, in the creative sense, I had my hands thrown up in the air with God, like, all right, I'm just gonna get super weird one day. So my kids went back to school. It was like the second day they were at school and I pulled down my backdrop in my garage and I didn't know if I had the skill level to do what I wanted to do. I didn't really even know exactly what I was doing. I pulled down my backdrop and I put on a red dress and I sat down in front of the camera and I just started clicking away and played with a couple different elements, but I knew that I wanted it centered around this necklace idea. The idea that I was gonna begin to work on creating more joy beads. But I also knew that it would be rooted in kind of the heaviness of the experience. And so I got it back to my computer and it just kind of came together. And that was my first piece. But as soon as I created it, it was like this incredible feeling. And I realized like in that moment, I was able to just really draw to the depths of my heart and my experience. So do dreams influence a lot of what you make then in your photography? Uh, they do sometimes. I would love to be able to say like every piece comes from a dream because that would be like the really cool artist thing to say, right? But <laughs> occasionally they do. And so this dream with the necklace is what thrusted your art forward into what you're doing today then. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the other influences that impact the subject matter that you choose? Oh gosh, I honestly, I'm pretty ADD. I was actually diagnosed with ADD as a kid. So like I draw inspiration from the most random places a lot of times, but it's everything from the occasional dream that I might have to these themes like depression. Man, I wanna show people what that looks like. What does that feel like? If you could feel it in an image, what would it feel like? And then I just kind of go from there and I think about various elements that I can use either literally or figuratively to represent that concept. Well, one of your pieces that I have found really striking is the one titled Meeting of Minds. Oh yeah, okay. And I would love to hear some about the concept behind that. So on that particular one, it's being willing to sit with your darkness a little bit and allow space 
for God to come into that and reconciling the good and the bad. And it's not just, it's not even just the good and the bad. It's, you know, the butterflies and rainbows, but it's also the deep and the trenches. So on that particular one, the thing that I wanted initially was for the hands to be meeting and touching in the middle. And I couldn't edit it that way because it just wasn't working for me. I I don't know exactly, I can't explain it. Some of it was probably skill related because I'm still learning so much about Photoshop. But I loved it in the end because what it did is it, it created a tangent and kind of this tension between the two pieces. But it also represents kind of the space between to me and the bridging because, you know, the air we breathe, I believe, is the breath of God. And so to create space in between the meeting of the light side versus the dark side, it's kind of a cheesy way of putting it, but to me represents the spirit of God bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just to, that's pretty much in summation is just a willingness to face that in yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really, <laughs> it's always a funny process. My husband is like, thinks he loves how crazy I am when I have these funny ideas. And I'm like, hey, babe, will you come downstairs and pour glue all over me? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, here we go again. <laughs> I love it. Do you always begin with a concept or does, or does the meaning shift in the midst of the process sometimes? Or do you find yourself at the end of a portrait that you've done saying, okay, now I think I understand what it means. Yeah, um, honestly, it's all, all of those, all of the above. It really depends on the piece, but sometimes I go in with a specific clear idea. Now, when I say that, I never fully know how it's gonna be rendered. Some of that is because I'm learning the Photoshop skills as I'm going. And some of it is just because things just sometimes don't render the way you want them to or think they will. But a perfect example of this would be a piece that I titled Elevated Thinking. And it's a piece where I'm holding a book out in front of me and my hair is kind of blowing and there's a cloud that looks like it's whirling around my head. And I sat down or set out, I should say, to create something entirely different. I had a different idea in my mind and I sat down and I shot it and I put it in the computer and I wrestled with that piece for I don't even know how many hours and stepped away and came back and it just wasn't working. And I was like, what is up, God? Come on now, you know? And finally, I just remember finding a posture of surrender in my heart saying, I just, I knew, I wasn't ready to forsake the piece altogether, but I knew that something was to come of this and I just didn't know what it was yet. And so I just reached this place of surrender in my heart and then it came, the idea came, I wanna put a cloud there. And what was really interesting to me is that when my husband saw it for the first time and I, he was like, wow, you know that the Bible says that God descended like a cloud. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That is not something that was like in my mind when I set out. And the piece kind of took on a mind of its own. And those pieces to me are in some ways very, very special because uh, sometimes the meaning does just unfold on its own. Or like I get to the end of it and I step back and I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? (laughs) 
I love that. Isn't that amazing? It seems that sometimes the art that we're making chooses what it wants to become. Yes, that piece definitely did. I've had a few others, but that is probably the biggest example of that for me. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently, and it, it, it's almost like we become stewards or almost midwives mm-hmm. to this thing that wants to, to be created. And I think it was Madeline Engel that said that sometimes we have to surrender to the process or we have to serve the work, I think is the way she put it, you know? And yeah. it, it really is, I think, sometimes a, a sensitivity on the part of the artist to to really sit with a piece and figure out what it wants to become or what it wants to say. Definitely. Well, it seems that your art then is a place where you can express some of the deeper or darker issues of our human experience still in a place of devotion. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things I say in my artist statement typically is that I want to cultivate a safe place for those conversations to be had. And that's absolutely where I find God. And so what are some of the other concepts that you've dealt with in your work? I know you you mentioned depression and you mentioned uh, some of your work deals with mental illness and and Mm -hmm. different things like that. Tell me some of the other concepts that you address. Hmm, That's a good one. You know, not every concept I deal with is, is really heavy. I have a piece called Marionette and it looks like I'm crouched down. I say it's me. It's actually me. I don't know if everybody knows that about my work, but I, <laughs> I don't have the budget to pay models. And so I just have to get in front of the camera myself <laughs> and make it happen. <laughs> and Marionette to me really represented that struggle of what is acceptable to portray as a visual artist and as a faith-based visual artist. You know, my work to me, I think, I want it to speak to anybody, faith-based or not, and that is absolutely where my heart is. But for me, it's a meeting of my faith. It's a digging deep into the trenches because in my experience, that's where I have found God the most. It's not when things are going great, you know? And, and, And actually, that's a place of desperation where I'm like, I need Him. This is where I see His beauty and His love and His grace more than any other place. And so that particular piece was dealing with the feeling of cracking under the pressure. So in that one, my skin on my back looks like it's breaking open, almost like dried up clay, right? And then I've got these strings that are controlling me. And it's just kind of that fight, that push and pull, and the feeling of cracking under the pressure. You know, and for me, that is, it's almost like a wrestling match within myself of like, okay, God, you know, where are the lines here? Because in that Mm -hmm. piece, I actually, I had to take my shirt off for it. And mm-hmm. I grew up very conservative, you know, from a very conservative Christian background. And you know, nudity and modesty were things that were like hammered into me as a young girl. And so that really has started a conversation within myself because if you look at like Michelangelo's works, right? Subjects are, are nude, completely nude, like totally full frontal nudity. And totally. that would not be acceptable today you know, at least not in a faith community. And so it's kind of that wrestling match for that. I think that's such an important conversation for us to have right now, really about what is appropriate 
for right. faith-based artists. And I think a lot of artists in faith communities struggle with that idea. And it, a lot of times artists can feel like as a faith-based artist, your work has to be sanitized or it has to right. always uh, be tied up with a nice moral to the story at the end of it <laughs> in order for it to carry spiritual weight. But you mentioned Michelangelo, and I think that's a great example, but historically I don't see those restrictions that our modern culture might place upon us or whether yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, but it reminds me of that quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in this, that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Hmm. And I think that that's the same way. It's like the content or the subject matter that we deal with as artists of faith I don't see a limit to that. It's it's the perspective that we bring to that subject matter that brings that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think just on a more surface level, I think there is a huge difference between nudity and sexuality in art. Tell me about that. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure I have a lot of language for that yet. I'm still, that's definitely something that I'm kind of trying to dive into and wrestle with the Lord on that because it would be awesome if the, there were like, clean cut lines, black and white, that you could stay inside of. But I think Jesus, when he came and you read the the New Testament, I think that you see that he blurred a lot of those lines for the sake of freedom and grace. And so uh, it would be really easy if I had, you know, some ruler or metric to go by, but I don't. And so I just try to be really careful in in my own work, you know, to be sensitive to the fact that like, some people really, really wrestle with that. And, but I think our culture also needs to understand that, like, I think there's a lot of pressure put on women specifically on that end. And I think some of that, if I'm allowed to say, is a little bit unfair. Just because we are uh, women doesn't mean that, you know, like a man can walk around with a shirt off of the beach. And I'm not saying I want to go do that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, there's a there's a real double standard. And some of that is necessary but some of it isn't. And I think that our culture has really developed an unhealthy perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know what healthy looks like, but that's something that I'm trying to figure out in my own work. Yeah, you know, I think that for us to get there, I think it really requires a maturity on the part of the viewer of the art. And I think it's, it's also, for me, it comes to the intention of the artist and also the intention of the viewer. Absolutely. I think that when we come together in the way that we approach these things, you know, it's like, what is the art seeking to convey? What is it wanting to leave you with? And then also, what am I as the viewer of this work? What am I bringing to the table? What filters am I viewing this through? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think it's a bit of a journey But unless we have these conversations and unless we have artists like yourself who are pushing the envelope, who have a heart of sensitivity, but at the same time, you're going to push the envelope. I think that that's why the work that you're doing is important and it's necessary. Well, and I think if I may, um, I'd like to go back to the filters because I I find a lot, and I don't mean filters like what you put over a photo (laughs) on Instagram, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, the filters that you're viewing a piece through. I think there's a piece that I have that I actually call the anointing. And a lot of people don't know this because I don't know that it's a favorite piece, probably because of the subject matter, but that particular piece, I'm elevated in a bathtub and the light source is coming from overhead. 
and I'm wearing a paper crown and I have syrup dripping all over me. But the commentary that I've received about that piece is people think it's blood. And actually the medium was syrup because I needed something to be really thick. But actually what it was supposed to represent was bathing in the anointing of God. And you know, you see that all through the Bible is the anointing of oil. And so that's what that piece is. And so I've had a lot of people see that piece. For example, my sister-in-law who's in counseling work, and she the first time she saw it, she saw self-harm. And, you know, I think it's important to address that, you know, when looking at artwork, if something doesn't sit well with you, I think it's important to point out that you have to ask yourself, you know, what filter are you viewing this through? And also, maybe there's something that you need to address. And that is probably one of the things that's really at the core of what I aim to do is, you know, some of the work that I put out as a little bit edgy, but it's because these are things that I've experienced. And I know I'm not alone in that. And so I want people, especially in communities of faith, to be able to sit with that uncomfortableness and Mm -hmm. really ask themselves what that is and invite space for God to work that out. Well, one thing that I've been curious about, and I'm sure others have been curious about this as well, but in most of your photography, as you mentioned earlier, you're the model, mm-hmm. but we don't often see your face. Right. Yeah. Well, so there's a lot of answers for that, but I think the two that are probably the most direct would be, first of all, the funny answer is that it's really uncomfortable to sit in front of a camera and take a million pictures of yourself. <laughs> and so <laughs> by that, it makes it a lot easier. The other thing is though, is that by rem- obscuring my identity, the viewer is then able to take away any preconceived ideas about the identity of the person and therefore put themselves in that position emotionally. And so that is by design. And I'm sometimes even asked the question, will I ever show my face? I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would venture to say probably not likely, but I don't, as an Enneagram 7, I don't like to be tied into anything. So like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'll surprise you one day. Before we return to the closing segment of this episode, I want to turn the mic around and ask you a question. In light of today's conversation, I'd like to know, have we tamed and sanitized sacred art to make it commodifiable, to make it acceptable among our religious subcultures? Have we stripped art of its danger and removed the tension of uncertainty? Every good story contains elements of danger and surprise, of conflict, rising action, and resolve. A good story is never static, but raises as many questions as it seeks to unfold the answers. We'll be discussing this and other related subjects in our private online community through Patreon. We'd love for you to contribute your voice to the conversation and let us know your perspective. You can follow the link in the show notes to join our collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We've talked about your work deals with a lot of themes of whether it's the death of a loved one or whether it's depression or anxiety, some of these darker themes. But I know that your work also has these themes of hope Mm -hmm. attached to them. And I think that uh, just from what I gather and what I've read, it seems that hope also plays a big part of the work that you're creating. And I'm curious to know, what is it that you hope to leave 
your viewers with? Like when they encounter your work in a gallery, whether we, whether they encounter it uh, online, what is it you hope that your viewer is going to take away from encountering your work? Mm, that's a great question. I think most importantly, I want people to be willing to, and I, I heard you guys say this actually, be willing to sit with the mystery. Mm-hmm. If you resonate with one of my pieces, I want you to sit with that for a little while. I want you to chew on it and meditate on that. And if you are a faith person or somebody who identifies with your faith or with a faith, I want you to really take that to God and ask Him what it is that, that what it, what is being drawn out in that. And then be willing to have a conversation. I just, I think it's so important. And this is what I love about discovering this aspect of my work is that for me, it's those things that when I create them, then I have to chew on them. And I just this year started actually blogging about it, which I was very reluctant because I had a blog a while back and nobody read it. And I was like, I just, I was like, why am I doing this? (laughs) But I just kept hearing this tugging to start the blog. And I've had, you know, the few, the five people that read it, you know, really have great things to say. But I, I think it's just so important to chew on those things that are resonating within you and figure out why. And I think that's where the work is done. And so if my audience is willing to do that, that would be such a huge honor for me that people are resonating in that way and that God is working through it, you know, that the spirit is doing the work. Well, Lauren, this has been one of my favorite conversations I've had recently. Um, I love the work that you're doing. And so thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. There's a place I've never been. I can't wait to go back. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and check our website for upcoming live events in a city near you. We'll see you again next week with another episode from our Artist Profile series. Mm-hmm.